Today's the first Sunday of Lent. I know many of you have been asking questions like, uh, I've, never, I've never done Lent before. I thought it was a Catholic thing. And so many of you are new to um, our family. And it's, it's awesome um, to over, I don't know, I think maybe for five years or so, I, I've been practicing the, the season of Lent. And it's been great to introduce people who come from different faiths and different backgrounds and different traditions to this really ancient um, centuries-old practice that really transcends any denomination or any faith group. Uh, the word Lent actually is not a religious word, believe it or not. It is a, an old Saxon word that means length or lengthen. It refers to what we're experiencing right now. I don't know if you, if you go to the weather app, you can look at when sunset and sunrise is, and you go to the next day, what you notice is by about a minute each day, it lengthens. And our days, the daylight, is lengthening a little bit at a time because spring is coming. Just like in winter, it gets shorter. And that's what the word Lent is referring to, is just the lengthening of daylight. Well, spiritually, Lent is this time where we just want to acknowledge the darkness that's in our life and in our hearts and our communities, just in, in the world, spiritually, and longing for the daybreak of Christ the son of righteousness, to come and to lengthen our day. And that's just what Lent means. It's not an empty religious or ritual thing. It's just creation preaching the gospel to us. So um, I love that light. I love the sunrise. It's just a daily reminder that light pushes back darkness. It's awesome. So um, for six weeks this Lent, we are going to study the life of Joseph. Um, About eight months ago, I was just on a personal journey with the Lord and was studying the life of Joseph. One of my middle names is Joseph, and so I've always kind of liked Joseph. He was always the young dreamer, and I always related to that. And he always got ahead of things and got in trouble, and I related to that. And so um, I've always liked Joseph. But I never really dove really deep, and so I spent about a week without a phone or a watch with a couple other pastors in the San Isabel National Forest in Buena Vista, Colorado, also known as Heaven, and just had a week of just thinking on these couple of chapters in Genesis and just personally felt the Lord just move. I mean, just changed my life. And I, when I came off the mountain, I, I thought this would be awesome to do for Lent. So um, I'm, re- I'm going to be sharing from the depths of my experiences from the last summer. And um, what I love about Joseph, as Jake mentioned, is you can summarize Joseph's life with, you know, where's God when life hurts? We all have hurts. We all have pain. If you don't have wounding or pain, you haven't been living, or you're not honest, or you don't have self-awareness. Like we all are jacked up in one way, shape, or form or another. We just all are, right? One of the, mon- the hidden mantras of our church is it's okay to not be okay. Just don't lie about it or stay there. You know, it's okay. A lot of you are not okay. It's all right. Don't lie about it. I'm not okay. Try not to lie about it. And so Joseph gives us some insight to what's God doing when just life keeps punching you in the gut, when you find yourself in a job that isn't fulfilling, when family isn't working out, when you find yourself in a dysfunctional family, when you feel betrayed or abandoned or sold into slavery or falsely accused or forgotten or whatever. What's God up to? What I've, um, uh, someone a long time ago in a very early season of my Christian 
life when I began to experience suffering. Because I was sold the gospel, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be awesome. And then about six months later, the stuff hit the you-know-what. And it's like, wait a minute, this is not how it's supposed to work out. And I realized, you know, really following Christ is taking up your cross and dying to yourself. You start to look at the teachings of Christ, and that is not your best life now. And I don't mean that in any disrespect. Just read the scriptures. Everyone has a hard time. <laughs> Everyone does. John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived according to Jesus, got his head cut off. This is not your best life now. I don't think. <laughs> What's God doing when things do not make sense? So I hope for the next six weeks we'll be able to learn about that. Um, just real quick, throw something out there and you can chew on it. Often, whenever I go through hard times, I ask, why God? I'm a why guy. I need to know. I need to understand why. You know what? He often doesn't answer that question whenever I ask it. A lot of my questions will be answered when I meet him face to face. And some of the tension that I feel is, I don't understand what God's doing a lot of the time. His ways aren't my ways. I've learned to ask a better question. So here, here's the deal, okay? Um, there's like three types of people in this room, all right? There's four, there's mainly three. There's group one is on their way into a season of trial. Group two is in a season of trial Group three is on their way out of a season of trial, and then it's about to be group one on their way to, and then there's group four, it's just like, they're so oblivious and have no idea what God's doing, right? But really, there's only three groups. You're either in, going into suffering, you're in suffering, you're, you're on your way out of suffering, repeat, I'm sorry, that's the good news of Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to church. Um, that's just, look at the scripture, that's the pattern, look at your life, look at church history, that's just the pattern, Okay? What I love about Christ and the scriptures is it's just honest. Christianity gives us honesty about suffering and pain. Jesus is very upfront and, and comes head on with suffering and pain and brings answers that Buddhism doesn't bring, brings answers that Islam doesn't bring, um, brings answers that secularism and postmodernism doesn't bring. Like everyone has their answer to suffering, Jesus is the only answer that I found to be right. So I want to encourage you, join us in this journey. And, um, oh, where I was going with that was, that's not even in my notes, but where I was going with that is, um, when you're in a season of suffering, here's the question I want you to ask and write it down. We'll put it on the screen, take a picture of it, get a tattoo on your arm so you can remember it. You can ask why, but I'll give you a better question. Ask this question. God, not why, but what do you want me to learn in this situation? You'll get answers to that question. You might not get answers to um, why. You may, you probably won't. But this question would actually be helpful and beneficial. So um, let's go to, um, it's a long intro, Genesis 37, page 31. We spent, I think, nine weeks in Revelation, and why not go to the first book of the Bible? It seems right. Just start over from the beginning. Genesis 37. All right, 1 through 11. 
Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Jacob is Joseph's papa. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Jacob made a mistake there. Uh, and Joseph brought a bad report, here's a tattletale, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph. Uh, Israel is another name for Jacob. Now Israel um, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He was the favorite. And he made him a robe of many colors. Today he buy him a Patagonia jacket. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he, <laughs> oh, the lack of self-awareness is amazing. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Here you go. All right, verse 1 and 2. This is great. Uh, this is a key uh, to knowing a lot of stuff. Here you go. Is the story of Joseph starts with the story of Jacob. So if you don't know the story of Jacob, I'm going to give you a couple of quick, uh, a couple of cliff notes here. Um, their family's messed up. I mean, massive dysfunction. Uh, the name Jacob means cheater. Uh, I'm, I'm going to add some other names. Cheater, grabber, striver, manipulator, hustler, schemer. That's Jacob. He's uh, jealous of his brother Esau, wants the blessing. And he's always scheming, hustling, manufacturing, striving, trying to... God wants to bless Jacob. But Jacob won't let God bless him in God's way, in God's timing. He's like, yes, I'll receive the blessing, but I'm going to make it happen. And so he Jacobs. He cheats. He lies. He manufactures. He tricks. He deceives. He's a hustler. He's a schemer. This is Jacob. This is Joseph's dad. Um. I'm a, I don't know, some of you know the, the book uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, one of my heroes. And uh, Pete has a podcast, and I, I listen, like, Pete's like one of my pastors. We've never met, but he's pastoring me. He's going through the, the life of Jacob right now. And so it's been great, because I've been studying Joseph, and I've been studying Jacob, and their father and son, and it is uh, just highly recommended. But one of the things um, that Pete points out is, we're all Jacob. We're all schemers and master manipulators and deceivers and hustlers. And 
We do that spiritually with God. God wants to bless us. God wants to do something in our life. And we're like, yes. And we go over here and we try to do it in our own strength. And we try to use the things God's given us to force things and to open doors and kick doors. And spiritually, we do this all the time. We're Jacob. God wants to bring salvation to us through Jesus Christ only. And we say, yes, I received Jesus. And then I'm going to add to it voting the right way or being socially conscious of this or giving or serving. I'm going to do all these other things. Uh, and, and we Jacob spiritually all the time. So this is Joseph's history. This is his dad who had a problem with his brothers. There was rivalry. There was manipulating. Joseph's just living in the reality of the sins of the household. There's like some huge lessons of generational sin here too. And so he, J- J- Joseph comes to his brothers and just does what Jacob's been doing his whole life, which is, I'm better than you, and I'm going to do all this. I'm going to, here's my dream, and I'm going to tattle. I'm going to make the brothers look bad so Jacob will put me in charge. He's just Jacobing. Joseph is really just Jacobing. And we all Jacob, okay? Jake is super uncomfortable because his name's Jacob. Sorry, bro. My name's Joseph. Your name's Jacob. All right. So, um, <laughs> where are we? Okay. I got away from myself. There's so much to unpack in the scripture. I want to um, pick a thread. I want to pull on the thread. And trust me here. You're not going to, you're going to, what does this have to do with Joseph? Just trust me, it does, okay? I, I want to pull on the thread of calling, what we, what we can learn from in this situation is calling. He, uh, Joseph receives a dream, and it's actually not Joseph's dream. It, it, what you find out at the end of the story is the dream is actually from God and com- comes to um, fruition. It's really like a prophetic dream. You know, Joseph got a note card with like, a, here's what's going to happen. The problem is he, he wasn't in a place where he could receive that calling. His character Joseph is the Justin Bieber of the Bible. <laughs> he is. Great talent, still 12 years old, maturity-wise, right? It's all about him. I mean, really, seriously, the Justin Bieber of the Bible. So, um, thank you, Lord, for that. So, <laughs> he ha- he doesn't, Joseph doesn't have the character. He, he doesn't know how to receive this call that God had. God is calling Joseph to be a significant kingdom leader to people who are far from him, who are far from God. And what we're going to find is God uses Joseph to bring provision and deliverance to Egypt and Israel, two people groups. And uh, Joseph's not ready for that call yet. And so God puts, he enrolls Joseph in the school of suffering to get his PhD in suffering so that Joseph can come to a place where he understands that it's actually not about him, but it's about God. Even his dream, the the second dream, is that Joseph is the center of the universe. The sun and moon and all the stars are orbiting around Joseph. Joseph's like, I'm the most important person in the universe and everybody, including, including Israel, is orbiting around me. What we'll find out, you find, is eventually, at the end, Joseph puts God at the center of the universe and puts himself on the outskirts. Joseph, at this point in the story, believes 
that God is a footnote in his story because Joseph's the center of the universe. Uh, do you live your life, do we live our lives in the same way? Do you live your life functionally as if God is just a footnote in your story to help you do something else? Reality is, we, at best, might be a footnote in God's story. And we are, we're all footnotes in God's story. Joseph doesn't believe that, and so God's got to do some things to help Joseph get there. I don't know if you've read the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. It sold two or three copies. But the very first, it's like the number one book that's been translated into more languages. The very first uh, sentence in the first chapter. And if you haven't read the book, here's the book. Ready? First, first sentence, first chapter of probably the best-selling book outside of the Bible. It's not about you. That's the first line of that book. Go buy the book and read it, but it's not about you. And that, that's what Joseph needs to learn. That's what we need to learn. So um, let me, uh, I'm going to jump to something practical. So we're going to journey onto something else, okay? Uh, and uh, I want to turn this to you. And maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you are, um, maybe life is just kicking you in the guts. Maybe you're disappointed, you know, whatever. You know your pain, okay? You know your wound. Um, would it help if you considered God's calling in the context of what's going on in your life right now? Now, whether you're 12 years old or 80 years old, God has a call in your life. If you're breathing, God ain't done. God wants to do something in you and through you. God has a call, not just on my life. He's got a call in your life. And, and uh, the homework I want to give you this week is, do you know what God's call is on your life? If I said, hey, you know, Tom, what's God's call on your life? Like, um, could you express it? We all have a call. Um, here, here's the big lesson that the Lord rocked me with last summer is uh, your calling is not the same thing as your job. Um, a calling's who you are, a job's what you do. You know, some of you are in a job that has no compatibility with your calling and that's why you're miserable. And you feel like stuck because you're getting paid to do something that has no overlap with how God's wired you and called you to make an influence for his kingdom. Or maybe you are there, but there's maybe some work you got to do internally to get there, but, but can you differentiate your calling from your job? Okay. Now, I'll give you my example, and I hate giving my examples all the time, but just if that's like, I don't understand what that means, let me, I'm going to walk you through what, what the Lord's been walking me through, okay? Um, my calling is not to be a pastor. You know, hate to break it to you. The Lord broke it to me last summer. I've not called you to be a pastor. Um, my calling, as best I understand it now, which is not perfect, is God's called me to be a father. And as a father, in various ways, I bless, I build, I, cre I create, I protect, I help teach and grow people. 
I mean, on the basic level, like a picture of a good father is someone who protects, who provides and blesses, who is creative and who mentors and teaches and gets people on their way. That's just fatherhood 101. God's called me to be a father. And so um, I get to bless and protect and teach. And do also, not because of my job, but because of my calling. And if you've ever uh, been around me and you've uh, been blessed by any of those things, you're not blessed because I'm awesome. You're blessed because that's God's call in my life and it's flowing through me. That's just, you're rubbing up against God's call in my life, not because I'm good. You just That's just God's call in my life. Now, I'm blessed that I have a job that overlaps that. One of my primary responsibilities is to teach and to bless and to train up and to create. And so there's, there's time like this. I don't feel like I'm working right now. And this is the most important work that I do. And I don't feel like I, I feel great. My pulse is low. I'm excited. I'm fulfilled. I'm, I'll, I'll take a nap at two o'clock. But like, I don't feel like I'm working right now. I'm not striving. I'm not Jacobing right now. Because this is what God's called me to do. But from a foundational level. There's also parts of my job that aren't my calling, but they're my job, like finding a facility, hiring, firing. I never had to fire anyone, thank God. But, you know, like, like there's parts of my job that aren't my calling, but I got to do them because my job doesn't make sense. So uh, I don't know if that's helpful. That's, my, that's what the Lord has been doing on me is, is helping me get clear on there's my job as a pastor. But if I wasn't working as a pastor could I still father and bless and protect and be creative and inspire people and teach and equip? Absolutely. I've done that my whole life, whether I was paid to do it or not. That's my calling. Joseph had a specific calling. You have a specific calling. And it might not be exactly what you get paid to do, but can you differentiate that? I want to encourage you to spend some time this week and I mean, for eight months, I've been working on it. So this is your first step in a million-mile journey, as a friend told me, um, is what's God called you to do? I think if you can get clear on what has God called you or who has God called you to be, is a better way of saying it, then when the trials come, when suffering comes, when the unexpected curveball comes, it might be easier to deal with it and to really get out of what God's doing because you understand God's not mad at you or you didn't do something wrong per se, but that God is refining you and he's increasing the capacities of your character so that you can handle the calling on your life. That makes sense? I hope so. If not, ask me and we'll, we'll help do it. Okay, so a couple of questions here we'll throw up. I think I've already been diving into them, sorry. Uh, but uh, have you deeply considered your calling? Uh, um, don't confuse your calling with your job. What's your identity as a calling? And um, actually, that's not, sorry. There you go. Just read that. Don't listen to me. <laughs> See, I told you I'm not okay. I'm just not lying about it, right? All right. I want to share the gospel with you as we close. What's cool about Joseph, and I want to challenge you to do this, is uh, look for Jesus in each one of Joseph's uh, scenes or vignettes. What we find out, this is actually even really cool for you Bible nerds, is that we find um, 
God has a call on Adam and he kind of blows it. And we, you can legitimate, if you know Adam's story, and if you know Joseph's story, then you can say Joseph is a better Adam. Like in a lot of ways, Joseph does things better than Adam did. Jesus is a better Joseph. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family where there was a lot of rivalry. Joseph had an unhealthy father. Jesus came from a fully functional family, the Godhead, where there is full of mutual submission. The Father points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus points to the Father and pours out the Holy Spirit on us. And there's this incredible, humble interdependency between the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus came from a fully functioning, healthy, perfect family. He's a better Joseph. Joseph had a call on his life, but he didn't have the character or the capacity to fulfill it right away. Jesus is the better Joseph. He had the capacity. He was fully God. He was fully man. He was full of grace and truth. He lived the perfect life. He had the capacity. He had the character to be for us the leader, to lead us through times of famine and to be an agent of deliverance for us. Jesus is the better Joseph. So as we study Joseph, look for Jesus. In the pit, look for Jesus. In Potiphar's house, look for Jesus. In prison, look for Jesus. In the palace, look for Jesus. And see if you can find the gospel of Jesus in the Joseph story. Let's pray. God, we bring you this season of Lent. We bring you this study. And we bring you our life in all the ways in which we hurt, where we're confused, where we've experienced dysfunction in relationships and families. God, we bring you the times we've been sold into slavery and rejected and abandoned. God, we bring you the times where our dreams have been crushed and we don't have an answer for why. We bring you the sadness, the depression, the fear, the worry, the panic, the anxiety. All the ways in which we defend against situations and people. Father, we come to your table and we lay our weapons down. We, We lay our defenses down. We lay our hurts and our disappointments down. We lay the trauma down, the abuse. We lay it down, Lord. God, we're thankful that you turn towards us and that you are the better Joseph. And that you're perfect. And that you invite all who are weary and heavy laden to come to you. And to take up your meekness. And to receive rest. To receive restoration for their souls. 
come, Lord Jesus. Spirit, we welcome you in our lives to do the healing work, to steady our hearts, to reinforce us when the waters in front of us look choppy and dangerous. Like Israel before the sea. God, we will trust you. Even when it doesn't make sense. God, for those who need it here today, I ask that you would pour out a fresh blessing of peace that makes no sense. It just doesn't compute on the earthly level, but just somehow goes right by our understanding. We ask for your peace to go right past our mind and deep down into our gut, into our soul. God, for those who are barely hanging on, who feel they've been beaten and thrown in the pit and left for dead, just like Joseph, God, I pray that you would meet them here today. Meet them at your table. Meet them tomorrow morning. Or let them see your kind and compassionate heart. We're so grateful for your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.